Uh, it's a little <laughs> higher pitched. <laughs> yep, there you go. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 283. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning, drive to work by the one and only Charles Featherer. Hello, hello. Hello. We are down a Samantha Har this week due to unexpected travel. Uh, she, uh, she informed us yesterday that she was going to have to make an unexpected trip, so she is unavailable for this uh, uh, very festively scented podcast <laughs> i can smell it in the air yes um so occasionally we will do episodes that we just call the potpourri episode it's a, a series of smaller topics that aren't necessarily worth a full episode but they can still be covered and get some good good information good learning out of it and yeah so that's what we are going to be doing this evening afternoon morning drive to work yeah. Yeah. How you been? Before we get into that, how you been, Charles? I've been great. Um, as you know, I'm 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 juggling with a, a small issue and, and we'll be talking about that yeah. off air later. Um, which I'm hopeful that we're gonna stick a pin in and maybe even turn into a show later on. So Oh absolutely. Um, I, I think it's a good topic. So uh there's that. Uh I'm getting ready for Magic Thirty, which I'm terribly excited about. Uh, I've been I've been talking with uh, my judge manager there, and I'm hopeful that we're going to have about 500 people drafting Unfinity uh, that Saturday night, and I get to be a part of it. So I'm I'm just I'm just so so terribly excited and worried, and um, <laughs> hoping that all of my uh, cosplay uh, dreams come to fruition. Yeah, because I've been I've been busy putting finishing touches on things. So that's how I've been. How have you been? <laughs> I I am doing I am doing all right. I I am currently in the situation of I moved a bunch of stuff around to keep Saturday open because I had an event. I have an event on Saturday. Okay, but so what's the event? Well, that's that's funny. You should mention that because when I looked at my actual calendar today, I didn't have an event on the on the twenty second. So that's not good. Right. So now I've spent a good period of time contacting all of the TOs and asking very stupidly, hey, am I working something for you this Saturday? And they're like, no, you have we have you for this date, this date. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those I got. But let me double check those just to make sure. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. But nothing on the 22nd. They're like, no. And so I don't know. I've just got this really uneasy feeling because. I have no evidence that I have an event on the 22nd. None you don't whatsoever. Have a, you don't have a dinner party or, a, or a wedding or, or you know. I have. Your, your, your kid's not involved in something that you're supposed to do. No, or... no, no. I've, I've started to go through all of those. And it's, it's like this black hole in my schedule that I might end up just playing video games and being really like the worst version of myself and lazy and sleep till noon and i'm kind of excited at the prospect but, of just but, having but looking but looking over your shoulder the whole time and waiting for that right call. absolutely why, like, why why aren't you here right i'll like i'll still wake up at eight o'clock and still get dressed and just sit by the phone and wait have my, you know <laughs> and then if no one calls me by noon time i'm just gonna like open up get the you know the old zelda game and play it <laughs> 
Anyway. That sounds like a lot of fun. Right? Yeah, so we are going to do a a potpourri episode. We did get a comprehensive rules update uh, that we will talk about one or two highlights at the end, but most of it is just the stickers and attraction stuff that we talked about in the release notes episode. So we'll just go over the, the, the few things, and hopefully next episode we'll have a wonderful MTR policy update that tells us how to deal with all this stickers and extra decks and all of that stuff. Note to self, abduct Toby and get him to... Yes. Yep. Yeah. Get a, get hopefully, a... it, hopefully it'll happen. Like, there's part of me that doesn't want, because I still maintain the AIPG and the AMTR, and I have this feeling that there's going to be, when there is an update, it's going to be very large. It's possible. I yeah. mean, we've all been kind of um, moving along for some time uh, without uh, any significant changes there. Yeah. And, and I think it was mostly because of COVID. And we're getting back to gaming some more and larger events and and i think that's kind of the direction things are going so it's something that we're told to expect at some point in time when that happened and we're here yep yep and i think stickers is exactly the kind of forcing function we need to get anyway this is not an episode about brian sticker hate (laughs) although (laughs) nope nope we're not going there anyway do you have a pick out of one of these topics that uh we're going to go over? Do you, do you have one well, that you want to do first? Uh, why don't we just do a, a simple one first, the short okay. one, and then we can jump back into yours, and then we'll, we'll okay. do my longer one. Sounds sure. good? Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. So there's a part of the MTR that's called game markers, and it's an interesting little thing because it's only about a paragraph or so. And I just want to point out that game markers are basically reminders. They're reminders for players. So, for instance... Uh, players may place a, a lucky coin or one of the 50,000 Chessex lime green dice that they own um, on top of their library to remind them before drawing for turn to do some type of in-game action. Um, paying the pact or phasing creatures back in are two reasons players may do this. There's dozens more probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But so long as the object doesn't create a distraction, you know, they're not putting a whole fishbowl on top of the library. I think somebody mentioned that at some point in time. Um, judges should allow players to use these types of helpful reminders. Um, it's important to note that these game markers aren't putting dice on Tarmogoyf to represent the power and toughness. Um, in regular games of Magic, don't do that. Please don't do that because you could end up with a, a communication policy violation if the dice does not actually represent what's happening. Despite what coverage might say, you know, when there was coverage. Yeah, uh, in coverage of magic events, they would have you actually put uh, a dice either next to or 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 nearby, hopefully not actually on a Tarmogoyf, but to represent the actual board state for the viewers at home. Um, that is important for them, but it's not something that we should be uh, encouraging players to do. Yeah. Another thing, the most recent examples of things that I have pointed out game markers for is at the various pioneer uh, RCQs, the I've I've had about three ish calls each tournament, which which has we don't remember if it's day or night. Oh, that's a very good one, right? And yeah. and having uh, having that dice on the top of each player's uh, library is pretty relevant. Now, 
since the thing does say, you know, uh, the particular policy is the game markers may not disguise the number of cards remaining or in the zone or completely obscure any card, I'd probably say having like the day-night card on top of your library turned sideways is pushing it. I mean, you're not you're not technically obscuring things, but it's something large on top of your library that's not a really good idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. But putting some sort of dice, or if you have like a day-night coin or something like that uh, on top of your library, that is a great, great use for game markers. Right. Um, right. And and you know, a lot of players out there they have their own little either the magic poker chips, um, which were issued in some format a number of years ago and are very very nice. Um, or, or, or something else. I mean, whatever helps you remember that you need to do something, it's fine. Please do it. Um, it's better for the game state. It results in fewer judge calls and less player confusion. If you, if, uh, the players are doing that. So we encourage it. And, And let's talk briefly. If you as a judge see a dice or a marker on top of a library, yeah, generally, generally speaking, you don't need to like step in and ask what that is because that's presumably clear to the players. But if you need to ask what it is for some reason, you're like looking at life totals or you're trying to figure something out. Um, you, you can interrupt the players to ask, but in general, you know, stay, stay out of their games. Unless uh, if, <laughs> if you're just like, if you're just curious, cause you're, you're, you know, you're being a looky loo. Don't bother. Don't ask, don't interrupt. But if you're actually, actively looking at something and trying to get a question answered in your head and that is a relevant question then yeah you can just uh, hey you know just excuse me i don't mind to interrupt but what's what's that and they'll be like oh yeah that's that's day nighter oh yeah i have an action that i want to do uh during my my upkeep something along those lines you know what let's let's take that one step further if you're going to interrupt for something that is uh non-essential like this we'll consider it non-essential as opposed to jumping in the middle of a, an illegal game action. Um, do it at the start of a turn or at the end of a turn. Um, do it when players aren't actively thinking or or aren't actively processing through game steps because then you're breaking the stream of thought. Um, you could be actually slowing the game down uh, even more so than just simply asking your question and, and the time that it requires them to respond. For the most part, it's important that the players understand what it is. It's not important that you understand what it is unless you need the information for a a task that you are trying to complete, whether it's a, an investigation or you think you saw something's something happen that was wrong that maybe that marker might in some way help inform, you know. All right. So that was a better topic than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's fun. It is. All right. Uh next up, I'm going to talk about solo deck checks. We're going to talk Ooh. about them. Yeah. Why are we going to talk about those? I don't know how many of our listeners have gone to judge conferences, but there seems to be roughly a gajillion presentations on how to do deck checks. <laughs> so I've, I may have seen a couple, yes. Yeah, and, and a gajillion is probably a, a generous estimate since that there's probably like a gajillion cubed. Anyway, the, <laughs> most deck checks now predominantly done at i wrote rptqs down in the notes but it's rcqs and a good number of them aren't large enough to require a second judge so a lot of times when you're going to be swooping and getting decks you're going to be all by your lonesome 
So a lot of times these deck check seminars, they talk about they talk about how to swoop, how to check, you know, how to return, but they kind of have an implicit assumption that you're working in tandem with another judge. So we're not going to be talking about how to swoop or anything like that, uh, or the mechanics of sorting the particular cards. What we're going to be talking about is you're all by your lonesome. How do you how do you find the time to do the deck checks when you know when you're all by yourself? One yeah. is the loneliest. Lonely. Okay, so the <laughs> the first thing is Charles. How many how many deck checks are we looking to do during a a, a tournament? Approximately, we're looking to do about 10%. And, you know, the math is a little fuzzy on that. The most important thing is is that they see you doing deck checks. Yeah. So when we deck check 10% of the field with our RCQs, we're going to have about 20 to 40 players. Roughly, might be a little smaller, might be a little bit larger. But that's going to put the event in five to six rounds which means you're going to have, you know, discounting discounting the last round, you're going to have about eight opportunities between the beginning of round check and a mid-round check to to check those decks. So you're you're looking at doing two or three decks and you've got eight opportunities. So the big now, thing, yes. Yeah. I I don't want to give away a trade secret or anything, but do you do a a, a round 1 beginning of round deck check when you're doing it by yourself? Um I will actually do a. I will occasionally do a mid round, but what I have found when I am by myself is the beginning of round one is when you get a large percentage of the time you get a lot of calls at yeah. the very beginning. Yeah. So I will do if I can do a mid round, I will, but I will generally not have the opportunity to do a beginning of round. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Where I actually uh, uh, focus at is I'll actually target the beginning of round of round three specifically um, mm-hmm. because of all the the players that you know if they if they lose the third time they're kind of out potentially of the running. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking four or five round event. That's an important important yeah. round of players. Yeah. It is. So I might I might pick that round specifically, even though I've got eight opportunities. I'm going to target that one. But yeah, the, what what. The big point is, is you've got eight opportunities. You're by yourself. So if you need to like wave off an opportunity, that's fine. So don't get married to the idea that you got to do a deck check at the beginning of round three. Okay. You know, if, you know, negative ghost rider, the pattern is full, just wave it off. You've got, you've got other opportunities. (laughs) Don't, don't squander it. Um, The other thing I've noticed is event link really makes it easy to swoop. I, I, I'm, I know I'm saying something positive about Event Link, but the fact that you don't have to pass out slips gives you so much more time to prepare to swoop. Because that, that was a problem back when you had to pass out slips, is am I swooping or am I passing out slips? Because you're trying to do the same thing. You know, you're trying to do two beginning around things at the same time. Right, right. Running a 40-person event by yourself, passing out slips, beginning around was always a chaotic mess. Yep. Just like your 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 training says, you've you've got ready, you've you've swooped, you've asked the players to stop, you've made the players within a two table radius fear, you know, put the fear of God in them. You've got those decks, you've marked the time, the timer is running. Now you've got two decks in your hands and you're only one person. 
Uh, what do you What do you do? Well, for starters, did you also grab the slips when you grabbed the decks? And well, did you grab the slips with the decks? No, because I didn't pass out slips because I was on event link. Oh, no. That's sad face. Yeah. I really did like that. That was something <laughs> that was good because you, when you took the slip, you A, had the table number. B, you had the player's names. So I've just got... What I've taken to doing is... When the pairings get pushed to people's phones, I go ahead and pick the table. So I like have their names and I go ahead and, and pull the pull the decks list at that particular point. So okay. then it just becomes, you know, I just walk up and I pick up a deck and I was like, and you are, and then, you know, Charles. And then I just go back and I was like, all right, you know, Charles and not Charles. Right. Unfortunately, I got, got I got, got uh, RCQ when Andrew was playing Andrew. That, that got me. <laughs> so maybe you get a last name. Uh, but so you're all by yourself. So you want to find a place to do the check uh, where players and customers uh, can go. You don't want a place where they can go. Um, this It's important that people can't see the deck. Uh, it's also going to be important for another reason that we'll talk about in just a second. But you're not going to deck check, do a full deck check of both decks. You're just going to do a full a full deck check of one of those two decks. For the other deck, though, that doesn't mean that we leave the other deck alone. So what are some things that we would check for on the other deck? Well, I, I think you should check the sleeves, right? Yep. You should see that they're in good condition. Make sure that there aren't any uh, potentials for marked sleeves or, or uh, uh, overwhelming wear, which makes it difficult to uh, discern whether or not there are marked sleeves. Um, you'd want to check the sideboard, make sure that, you know, there's the, that that is uh, separate from the deck and, and that you can count the list uh, or you can count the deck um, if there's time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you, you just want to basically you're doing a cursory inspection so that uh, you have some feeling of confidence that the deck is being presented as it's on the list. And one of the reasons the reason to check the sideboard is it's 15 cards. You can generally just fan that out and, and look at it. And if there is going to be an error, most likely it is an error between the main, you know, a card that's supposed to be in the main deck is in the sideboard and vice versa. Okay, right. so it's it's super easy. Um, when you return the decks, you still want to remind the players are shuffled. Uh, sorry, not the players are shuffled. You want to remind the players that the decks are shuffled. Um I'm going to say you want to avoid saying the decks are fine, okay? And the reason why I say that is because you didn't check one of the decks. And if you're like, both of these are fine, well, it might not be. Okay, present them, all right, here are your decks. Uh, And then you can optionally say, you know, since there's only one of me, uh, in order to keep you, you folks from not waiting too long, I only checked one of the decks. It was fine. Go on, you know, go on your merry. Now, what if you're doing a deck check and you're all by yourself? This is one of the reasons why it was important to kind of be off in an area where players can't go and you get a call in the middle of that deck check. Wow. So my experiences have been that I've always also had some level of store employee available to me. I've had a store employee sit on the decks before. Mm -hmm. Um, You can do that. Or so long as you can um, uh, keep them covered, you can roll a playmat over top of them um, if you want to. Uh, that's another option. And then the third option in, in my mind, and, and I'm not sure what you think about this, is 
if I'm actually at the point where maybe I'm five minutes into the deck check and I'm pretty confident that the decks are fine, sometimes I'll bundle them up and I'll return them and I'll get them playing and then I'll take the call. Depends on how far away I am and depends on if I feel confident that I can do that quickly. Okay. Uh, I will try to take the call, maintain, you know, I'll still maintain eye lock on the decks and I'll get a quick feel for how quick the call is. Because if it's something like Oracle text or something like that and the event's only like 20, 30 players, I can keep an eye on both the players and the and the cards at the same time. Okay. Right. If I don't feel that I can do that kind of thing, yeah, absolutely. I'll... I'll uh, put a play mat over them or something like that. Um, if the call ends up taking a long time or being super in, involved, I might pause the call, get the decks back. If it's something short, then I might be able to get back and resume the deck check without a, 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 a loss of time. This is just kind of going to be kind of one of the things that you're going to make a decision one way or the other, but you got two clocks running, you know, the clock of the, the, the decks that you took from the players and then the judge call and you you have to manage both and you got to make sure that one doesn't get away from you but it is perfectly all right as charles said is to end the deck check early that's fine the the last thing you want to end up with is a 15 minute deck check unless yes. you have a problem with the decks and then that's something that happens but you don't want to end up with a and and I don't want to over exaggerate it um you know an 8 minute 9 minute even maybe even a 10 minute deck check, that's a little long, but it's, it's still in the realm of, okay, but it gets into the 15 minute realm and something's gone sideways and, and you need to find a way to recover from that. Yeah. I had, I had one, one deck check where the check took a while. And then at the end, we decided that the person's sleeves were a problem and they needed to change their sleeves out and they had uh perfect fits inside the sleeves. Uh, uh. Which <laughs> that adds about four minutes to resleeving a deck just from pushing and trying to get the thing to stupid. Anyway, so let's say you find an issue with one of the decks, okay? And this person's going to get a game loss. Do you need to check the other deck? You know, because this person's getting a game loss. What if this other person's going to get a game loss? And then you've got the offsetting game losses, and that's fair, right? You're still looking for the 10%. Yeah. And that's what I come back to at the end of the day. I, I think you want to keep things moving. Yeah. That That's where I fall on that. I, I don't go and I, I, I don't go, look, we're judges. And, and I was thinking about this in an abstract sense about another topic a, a day or two ago. We don't actively go looking for things. We do look, okay? And, and when we have the time, that's what we're doing. But don't you don't need to create a problem. So I would just keep keep things moving and assess the penalty and and uh, move on to to doing what you need to be doing at that event which is judging and watching watching other people play magic. So yeah, so that's that's basically basically it. You get you get a call in the middle of the deck check and you got to you go off uh you find an issue with one of the decks, is it do you have to check the other one? No. And then it's just taking you too long in general um and you can send the you can send the decks back. Now, I also mentioned, you know, the store employee for earlier. You can also, if you have an experienced magic player store employee that may have done deck checks or, or somebody that can be taught how to do it, you can engage them to do a deck check with you to do to do the other deck. Um, but that's only if time permits. A lot of these stores have, you know, the one employee and they're, they're busy servicing other customers and that's their responsibility. Yeah. 
So it's not always a it's not always a practical solution. I'm I'm fine with a store employee. I would not grab a player. Because, oh, never. Yeah, right. Absolutely not, because that opens up a whole liability issue that you don't want any part of if something right. goes sideways. Right, especially the more expensive decks. I mean, what happens when that you know Black Lotus gets damaged? Oh, speaking of which, <laughs> well, we won't we won't we won't have that with RCQs really because it's it's not. It's not a format that's played. Um, but if you are working at an event that's not an RCQ um, and it has high value cards in play, uh, sometimes the player will want to watch you do the deck check. What do you think about that, Brian? Um, from over over there, go over there, like, you know, a ways away. <laughs> not not like 30 yards not or on, anything not like on that. Top, not, on top, not on top of me, but, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah, don't sit on top of me. But right. yeah, you can watch me do a deck check. I don't care. That's not going to hurt my feelings or anything like that. Uh, but I'm not going to let you see what the other guys got or the other players got. That seems know? very fair. Right. I mean, what right. what else are they going to do? They're going to sit there and stare at each other. Maybe someone's going to pull out a Nintendo Switch. Actually, speaking of that, have you seen RCQ Bingo? No. What's RCQ Bingo? This is the, this is the funniest thing in the world. Um, some players had this at the last RCQ where they just had bingo cards of uh of things that happen during an rcq like you know like a 10 minute extension or um uh you know someone's playing this type of deck or someone's got this particular drink on the table or something like that and did uh, you did you manage to snag a copy of this i did not but i can probably ask and find it but i had some players at the end come up and complain because they they pointed to the square bad judge call and said, we didn't get this. <laughs> I would have won. And I was like, uh, so, sorry? Uh, I, I will try to be worse next time. You know? Oh my gosh. But yeah, That's it, was, it was great. They had, uh, they had this little, little, little square set up. So, so if anybody listening actually has this, you know, it's judgecast at gmail.com. Yeah. We'd be happy to, <laughs> yeah, send me happy the, to look it over. The RCQ bingo. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, well, so, uh, playing Mono Green Devotion finishes in ten minutes. What? So, so from playing bingo to to taking notes. Yeah. Uh, there, there's there's another topic that we have today for for our listeners, and and that is actually we're going to talk about notes on taking notes. Um, mm-hmm. The MTR has a as a nice little section dedicated to note taking in game, and we're not going to talk about it um, exclusively. No, um, we're not only going to talk about it, but some of the whys and the wherefores of what happens. There are two basic types of notes in the magic game, in, in the play space while two players are playing. Um, they are notes that are taken during the course of a match. And then there's also notes written in preparation of an event or uh, of, of playing for the day. Most common examples of notes taken during a match are situations where players uh, would like to record cards that are shared through a thought seize effect, or maybe they have an idea how to sideboard, uh, given their opponent. Maybe they come up with some wild, crazy idea during the during the course of the game, or anything else that may be important to a player, like uh, maybe even getting milk on the way home. They can write notes down during the course of a game. At the beginning of each match, the page or note taking device must be blank. And I say note taking device. 
because you've seen those, right? The 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 uh, boogie boards. The boogie boards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those boogie boards, they need to be blank at the start of of the play. Yeah. To be to be a little clear, it's at the beginning of each match. It's when you sit for your match. Right. Right. It's it's not like we 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 sat. We've been chatting for a while. I can look at my notes and like they haven't announced the start of the round yet, so I can be doing all that stuff. It's when you sit for match, your note page has to be blank. Right. And it sounds rather technical, but but there's good reason for that. You know. Once you know who your opponent is, once you sit down and you talk to him, and you're like, oh, you? I mean, realistically, there has to be a line. You know. When when you can't look at that stuff anymore and seated for your match is as good a point as any. Right. And even if you're seated, you know, and your opponent's not there yet, you know, don't be don't be sitting there, you know, being cagey and going through all this stuff. Just just have a clear play space ready to go. Um, notes for taken during a match can be in any language, um, but they must be uh, able to be deciphered for a judge uh, upon request. Any language or cipher is allowed. Um, I know some players that are fluent in Japanese. Some players are fluent in Spanish. Uh, it can, but it doesn't matter what it is. Um, even a code, if that's what you'd like to do, or or Klingon, I believe, is an example. Actually, either in the MTR or, or somewhere, I've seen it. Um, and there are some people that are fluent enough in that language to actually do that. I, I find that amazing. Notes made in preparation before an event can only be consulted when not in game or when not seated. Um, so you can consult these notes um, before your match. You can consult them in between games. Um, they can look at it. Players can look at a page or two of these notes that they've created. Uh, oftentimes these pages or two have sideboard strategies. You know, if you're on mono green stompy, how do you sideboard against um, the, the current black deck that is uh, uh, beating up the meta? That's important information that you're allowed to store on these pages that you can pre that you can create in advance. It's increasingly common also during top eights of of large tournaments or even smaller tournaments these days for players to have access to their opponent's deck list in between games, which is kind of neat. Um, interestingly enough, if you have more than a page or two of notes that you're consulting in between matches, do you know what the penalty is for that, Brian? Uh, if you're looking at your notes that you made beforehand, I'd have to look it up because it used to be a match loss, but I think they ch they changed it, and I can't remember whether it's a game loss or a warning now. Well, it's a warning because it's slow play if they have too many pages. Oh, oh, sorry. I brain fart. I was thinking of when you're accessing no, no, no. notes. Yeah, but it's slow play, and and it's because of how long it takes to go through the page, I guess. No, no I'm, um, I'm sorry. I was talking about a different... I wasn't talking about if you're accessing too many notes. I was talking about if you accessed your notes at the wrong time. Oh, 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 right. That was, that's a whole nother penalty. Yes. That was a whole nother thing. Yes. Yes. Um, so two different situations that can result in penalties then. Yep. Um, electronic devices such as your phone are allowed to be used for taking notes, but only at regular. You can't do it in a competitive uh, event. Uh, reasons for this go back to how electronic devices are allowed to be used during games. Interestingly enough, some people think that they can take notes during draft uh, or during the draft portion of a sealed event, um, but notes may not be taken during that time. It's not only time consuming, but it leads to a lopsided balance of play. If you have a complete list of all the cards that were in pack one, um, when it comes back around to the table to you, 
and you can see exactly which cards are missing because you created a list and nobody else has the list. It's not exactly a, a fair um, way to go about drafting. It's not likely that you can do it in a reasonable time, and if you could do it in a reasonable time, it's uh, most people can't. The the other the other aspect is by writing down what you picked, you've created. A, I mean, where is that list? Where's that note? It's on the table. Uh, I'm writing it on my hand. In, in well, no, in I'm s- saying you're writing it on the table. <laughs> and what happens if you got a little nosy goblin next to you? Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, you're you're wait writing... wait wait wait. That's racist. Let's what? leave goblins out of it. Let's leave goblins I, out of it. The species is, <laughs> um, but. Uh, you are you are basically writing down picks and stuff like that that someone next to you could see. So it's not just taking a time, but it's also hiding hiding that information so that you're not communicating the information to the people sitting next to you what is and is not open. And we've also had players that sit there and will pull out a phone and will want to look up a value of a card in a pack that they've opened. Maybe they've opened that sweet bomb rare and they want to know whether it's, you know, a dollar or thirty dollars. Um, that happens. We want to discourage that, but you know, at the same time, if it's regular and they're just checking the value of a card, and if they can do it quickly, it's not too much. Yeah, of a I don't big care. Deal. I don't care. Regular. At regular, it's it's fine. Um, Oracle text can be looked up at any time. Players can do this themselves, so long as they remember to share the information being referenced with their opponent. However, at competitive, it really is a better idea to ask the judge to do it for you. Yeah, I don't think um, you can do that. I don't you, think you can do that during drafts. No, not during drafts. But it, what? Look up the value? Are we? No, look up. That? Look up the the oracle text. Like oracle I, text. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just in general, I'm. I think oracle text is a separate. Is okay. A separate thing. Okay. It's just we're in the drafting. We're in the drafting section here. It's like absolutely not during drafting. You're like, hey, I want to pull up my phone and yeah, look let's up. Not, let's not do that. Yeah. No. Not that. <laughs> um. But um. So fun. Uh, notes are great. Um, we encourage players to take notes. You competitive players will take notes the course of a match and a course of a day, and they'll go back and they'll they'll relive matches that they played a year or two or three later. Um, there's no reason that you can't take notes and save them. If you're taking notes through the course of the day, just make sure that you know from game one to game five, when you're walking into game five, you can't see your notes from your previous games and your opponent can't see your notes from your previous games. So fold them away, put them in a binder, put them in the bottom of your backpack, do something so that they're not visible. And that's that. That's notes. Notes. All right. The last potpourri topic, so we each picked two, since Sam is not here, she don't get any, um, is we're going to talk briefly about proxies. I wonder if something's happened in the magic community recently that would put proxies on the brain. I, I don't know anything about what you're talking about because yeah. I'm I can't afford it. Yeah, it's uh uh so the the wonderful Magic Thirty celebration where they want everyone to have the opportunity to feel what it was like to open a pack of beta. This this wonderful idea they have decided to charge you. $250 for the privilege of feeling like you open a pack of beta. You're like, you're not actually opening a pack of beta because these things don't have actual magic backs. They're proxies. They ain't real. Okay. And they're selling them to you for 250, 250 bucks. I have opinions about the Magic 30 product that. And I have, and, and I have opinions about proxies. <laughs> yeah. 
And but but what we wanted to talk about is what proxy means from a judge standpoint, because what proxy means from a judge standpoint, what proxy means from the magic community, from the larger community standpoint, they aren't the same thing. Okay. Right. So uh, a proxy card is a very specific thing in tournaments. And a proxy card is used during tournaments to represent a legal magic card that has become either damaged or marked. This is the card has become damaged or marked in the course of the tournament. And by marked, and by marked, you mean marked in such a way that we can find it if we, right. you know, examine the deck from the side or so forth. You know, it, it's become bent or it's become folded or or, or something. And the way that kind of happens is, is let's say the player is shoving their deck down in their deck box and one of the cards kind of goes under the other cards in the in the 60 and they just shove the others on top and they end up getting like this nice L-shaped uh, meat hook massacre. Oof. You know, and we'll say this was like a week ago because if they had a meat hook massacre in their deck now, you know, maybe... Oh, maybe that'd, be, we, that'd be a different conversation. Maybe we have a different conversation, right. But... So that card be, has become uh, uh, damaged or marked, or maybe someone spills, you know, their Mountain Dew code red on the table, or they open up a limited card pool. Now this is this is included in this. If you open up a a pack and you've got like that, you know, the crimped card at the top, and you're not necessarily going to be playing with sleeves, well, that's that's a card that's been that's that's damaged slash marked. Okay. Yes. The big thing is, is the head judge can issue a proxy for this card. Now I'm going to talk, uh, there's an exception to this in just a, uh, just a second, but um, this proxy card is only issuable, if that's a word, by the head judge. The head judge looks at it and say, yes, I will issue a proxy for that. And what they will do is probably they will go grab a Sharpie. They will go over to the land station and they will write the card, you know, write what card. And typically, you do the name, you do the mana cost, and I will sign it and put the date because proxies are only good for that tournament. And then you, you know, you wave it a little bit. I could own a, a piece of, of uh, Brian Perlman. Uh, um... Beta proxies, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll, my Black Lotuses are just as legit as the, uh, the, Magic, uh, the Magic 30 Black Lotuses. You know, all all you need yeah. to give me is a stack of revised planes. Those those are the best. Those are the best cards for proxies. <laughs> revised planes because they're they're just so washed out. Anyway, so again, we said damaged or marked during the course of the tournament. Opening like in a in a draft or a sealed event, opening a sweet foil and wanting to proxy it so it doesn't get damaged. That's not a reason to proxy. Don't do that. Okay. Right. Main main well few few reasons. One is. Uh, it wasn't damaged. It wasn't marked. There's a line, and you know what's what's the limit? Like, what's the dollar value? Like, are we going to really codify and say like, well, if it's a hundred dollars, then yes, we can proxy it. But if it's ninety five dollars, no, we can't. We don't want people. We just talk. We don't want people like looking up the value of cards during a, during a draft. So it's like, no, if you don't want the card to get damaged, don't play it. You know exactly. You open, you, you're on camera and drafting, you open that foil Modern Masters Tarmogoyf. I was you know? actually going to say that, yeah. Yeah. Right, right, um, right. What, 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 a, what a piece of magic history that one was. That was. Um, the uh, players can't create their own proxies, so you can't just decide that your card is damaged. You got to go 
talk to the talk to the head judge. And, and, if, and remember, as as we talk about this, we're talking about the formal definition of proxy. We're not talking about the EDH sector that designs their own uh, a damnation or what have you. We're talking about tournament level magic, um, sanction play, creating their own proxies. It's 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 not allowed. Wizards of the Coast calls those things playtest cards. So yep. there's 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 playtest cards that are in your EDH deck. So I guess I guess your bait your your ba- your beta ish Black Lotus is just a playtest Black Lotus. Uh, then proxies are things that get issued during tournaments, and then there's counterfeits. Um, okay, if a player damages their card intentionally or through negligence, no, you don't you don't get a proxy. If you did, if you tore your own card up, no, you don't get a proxy. Go buy another one. Could be stupid. Um, now there is an <laughs> exception. What's that? No, I'm just laughing at quick being stupid. Yeah, quit being stupid. <laughs> that so um there is an exception to the uh damaged or marked in the, over the course of a tournament rule. Uh specifically if the card has been uh is a foil card for which no non-foil printing exists. And there have been two such cards over the years that were put out as like bio box promos uh, or in a commander product that were foil only. Okay. And despite Wizards not directly acknowledging it, we know that foils curl. Okay. And non-foil ones don't as much. So... There have been there have been tournaments where the head judge and the TO have kind of authorized, uh, I'll say, proxy creation stations for certain cards. Uh, and I'm blanking on the one. It was the blue card costs costs uh, seven that lets you take an extra turn. One of my local yeah. judges was actually involved in the original st- story behind that one. The original um, story. Yeah, story. yeah. The, 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 well, it was the very first event where it happened, oh. uh, uh, and he was actually playing the deck um, that was the source yeah. of all of that misery. Oh, yeah, it was a lot of misery. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and players, a lot of times, players when they just hear that they can do a thing that is like their card might not be warped, their their foil version might not be bad, but because it might be bad or it might get bad or I might get in trouble. Well, let me just ask for this proxy and get and be safe. So now let's, let's talk about, so the head judge of the tournament can issue the proxy. Okay, cool. Now let's, let's talk about how proxies are supposed to be used. So the proxy goes in the player's deck and it essentially works like a substitute card, like a checklist card that we're used to. Okay, when you cast right. when you cast the proxy or it enters a public zone because you discarded it or whatever, you're supposed to pull the real card out from your sideboard or wherever you're keeping it and go bloop and make that sound because that is the the proxy replacement sound. Bloop. It, it, is it bloop? Uh, it's a little <laughs> higher pitched. Bloop. Yep. There you go. There um, we go. That is an official. That's in the MTR. You got to make that sound. Um. And then that that real card is is what is used in the public as long as it is in any public zone. A proxy is valid only for the duration of the tournament in which it's issued. But I have in a few cases where I know that I was going to be judging uh, an event at the same store next weekend. I just went ahead and like 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 yeah yeah, yeah that one will be. It was for the um, the foil 
the foil situation. Right. I was right. just like, yeah, 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 that one will be fine next weekend too. Don't bother me. Uh, I will not um, testify to this, but I had also heard that there were head judges that would do an announcement or two at the beginning when we were going through that and would say, um, we'd go out, get a basic land, write what it is on it and bring it to me and I will sign it. You know, just, you know, do all, do, do everything I need you to do. And we'll just, we'll just get through this. And I'll just, just I'll because just so bless it. Yeah. just because so many players were playing it. Oh yeah. You know? It was absolutely, it was absolutely horrible. Like I, I would show up for an event an hour early and I would spend 30 minutes just dealing with proxy stuff. Right. So we bring all of this up because of the magic product that's coming out. For all intents and purposes, it's not actually a, a proxy because it's not an official substitute for a card that you're allowed to use in a competitive event. Um, the back of the card is not a true magic back. Um, so please do not try and uh, sleeve them up at a, at a vintage or, or legacy event and um, that's sanctioned and use them because if it's found, um, that's, a, that's a different I, issue. I, I don't know. I, I don't know the way the way Wizards has been recently. It's kind of making me hard to care. Like that's just that's just that's just me, Brian. That's not official judge direction or anything like that. But yeah, you know, I oh, I understand that perspective. I I, I I I'm not quite there yet. I'm not I'm not quite as mossy. Um, <laughs> uh, but but I understand where you're coming from when you say that. I I mean, you know, I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. So yeah, so that's that is the four things. Now, do we want to talk very very briefly about uh, the CR updates that came out? So today there came out CR updates. Yeah. Okay. There we get we did. Oh uh, no, we gotta get no, a little bit more no. than that. Okay. Okay. The CR updates has a couple of new things in it and some uh, some clarifications. Um, one of the big things is it has a new section uh, that's numbered one twenty three. That's for all of the stickers. Um, for attractions, they did a, 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 a its own section, new rules 7, 8, about, 7, 18, yeah, 718, new rules about that. But they also kind of took attractions and contraptions and, um, plane chase, the plane chase arch or, enemy. or right, right, right. Our arch enemy cards or whatever, and kind of bundled them all together, um, under the rules, which is helpful. It's just. A, a way that it's a device for us to refer to them. Yeah. Uh, um, so one thing they did with attractions that we weren't entirely sure how they were going to handle during the release notes episode was mm -hmm. rolling to visit an attraction, how that was going to be handled. And right. they, they set it up so that it is a turn-based action that happens after sagas. So what happens is, and I think we said this is probably going to be the way it works, but the way, the way it works is you now, tick up all of your sagas. Then, if you have an attraction, uh, one or more attractions, you roll to visit, you roll your D6. Then, the whatever triggers from the attractions and the sagas, those ha those get put on the stack in any order. So, yay. The uh, notorious Sarah Paragon um, received not one, not two, but three different updates in the rules to make it work the way that it was intended. Um, I know that we were saying just do what it says on the card. It's fine. Um, but now uh, two two rules under 400 and one rule under 611 uh, have been changed to make it work the way that it was intended from the beginning. 
Yeah, it's they they needed to they needed to create they they say in the in the docs that they needed to create a three way handshake between the spells or land and the permanent that it became on the battlefield and the static ability printed on Sarah Paragon. So they just kind of needed to just carve out that exception path where where that ability could stick on the card. They also it came out just recently that they are adding the ability word landfall to a bunch of older cards that had landfall but not the ability word. If you remember ability ability words don't actually have uh uh rules meaning. Right. Functionally they were yeah. landfall but it didn't say landfall. Right. And then they took a bunch of cards that had surveil only written out. They just edited it to make it say surveil. So right. there's about 20 cards that received updated wording so that they now surveil one, surveil two, surveil three, instead of writing all that stuff out, which tells me that surveil is probably going to get a push in Brothers War. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm thinking that something's happening with landfall as well maybe not i don't know we'll see um i don't really know landfall, about that Landf- landfall may have been more of a cleanup type thing yeah i think i think i don't know it just made sense to me in the sense that if i'm gonna search scryfall or whatever because no one no one uses gather but if i'm gonna use scryfall then and i want to make a landfall deck i want to be able to search on the word landfall right right so and five five cards from infinity um three of which are acorn cards uh received the oracle promised oracle text updates. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh that's about it. It's not, you know, the, the again, uh stickers and attractions got the the bulk of the update. And then there's there's a lot of like vernacular cleanup and then they merged uh just talking about, you know, supplemental decks. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. It did. It, this episode did smell lovely. I must say. Oh yes, absolutely. I, I'm I'm getting all the all the potpourri. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh well, uh, that's that's everything, right? I we're, believe we're so. Good? That is everything. Everything that we were going to talk about, uh, minus Sam's two topics, which we will save for a future potpourri episode. Maybe we'll make a mini potpourri episode, a, a Samo potpourri episode. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. So uh, that's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about why Goblin King still isn't noble. I want answers. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Till next time, I'm Charles Feather, and I keep it fair. I'm Brian Prilliman, and I keep my ability from Sarah's Paragon as I change those. <laughs>